So thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm really excited to have you on, Diana. Um, I don't even remember how we crossed paths on Twitter. Someone must have retweeted you that I know, probably through the D&D circles. But I just remember seeing a tweet from you like, oh, she seems awesome. Follow. And then like we started chatting online. Yeah, I don't really remember what it was uh, specifically. But yeah, I, I see you around the proverbial block. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, these here internets, as it were. And so I guess let's start by, for, for those of my listeners who may not know you or what you do, maybe give like a brief introduction to the kind of work you do and like where they may know you around the internet. Okay, so I'm Diana. I'm, I mean, you might recognize the name Super Dylan, which means nothing. It has no <laughs> affiliation to anything whatsoever. It's just the name that I go by on the internet. Um, uh, you might know that I make silly D&D mockery videos uh, on TikTok. Sometimes I occasionally throw in an educational one on YouTube, <laughs> but pretty much I'm here for the sillies. Uh, and then, you know, occasionally, occasionally making something real. Excellent. That's the strongest and best intro I've ever heard. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, your history with D&D. Obviously, you wrote a campaign setting, uh, Neverland, which we'll get into the details of in a little bit. But sure. I'm curious, like, have you always been a D&D player? Have you played since you were younger? Is it something you discovered later? How did you kind of get involved with D&D? I love answering this question because uh, every a lot of people ask it. And um, the truth is that, uh, no, I wasn't always a D&D player. Um Basically, my history with gaming boils down to, like, a couple interactions I had at my local library when I was, like, a little on the cusp of tweendom. Uh, and I was a little nerdy kid. I hung out at the library every weekend uh, in their gaming room that they had in, like, the kids-slash-young-adult section. And... At the time, my big obsession was like Pokemon cards. That was like my thing was Pokemon cards. As Pokemon cards started to fade into Magic the Gathering, and that sort of took over the scene, is when like people stopped, like pe boys stopped <laughs> wanting me to be in there and playing it. Right. And something that also came into the gaming area at that time was Dungeons and Dragons. I saw that the two of them kind of kind of um, grew in popularity around the same time in that area. So I was like, well, these boys, I'm going to continue to play Pokemon. And nobody else did, so I just had Pokemon cards after that. Um, so I was um, reluctant to trust anything related to D&D as a teen um, and kind of forgot about it for a while what did happen was that around, I don't know, the ninth grade, I was, of course, very brooding and tortured. I was very um, sad for mysterious reasons that you wouldn't understand. Uh, and <laughs> so I became friends with the goths and the goths mm. all played a little game called Ma uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Yes. So that game and subsequently like just about every storyteller system game was my cup of tea uh for all of those 
years thereafter. Uh, and then later on, after I had spent all this time playing it and then fifth edition came out and I was like, oh, wait, sc screw it. I, this isn't just because some dudes told me I couldn't play this game when I was young. Doesn't mean I listen to them anymore. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of how I transitioned into D&D from other role playing games. Amazing. So it sounds like you have a variety of experience with different role-playing games. When I was growing up, it was mostly just D&D. &D. Uh, I got into it around the 3.5 edition, 3.5. And then when 4.0 was going to come out and uh, Pathfinder was starting to exist, um, we shifted a lot of my friend group to Pathfinder. And then when 5th edition came out, we shifted back to 5th edition. And now we kind of go back and forth. Um, I've had a few successful vampire games. None of them have ever seen their way to completion, which is a bummer. I mostly play them as an adult. I tended to play Tremere um, just because. Uh, but uh, I loved a lot of the White Wolf sets because they focused more on role play than mechanics, like a lot of D&D &D yeah, tended to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which really affected how I decided to play D&D &D once I did show <laughs> up in D&D. &D. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I, I, in the beginning got me into a little bit of trouble, but then when I started DMing and I got to say, well, if you don't like it, tough, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're playing make-believe, I'm going to have fun, uh, then, you know, I, I took, I took more control over it and it became, uh, mine and it's sort of like a hybrid of. Uh, of storyteller meets D and D. Yeah, I think that that tends to be the way I lean now more in the games that I play. Like growing up, there was a lot of murder hoboing, a lot of murder hallways, a lot of just combat in my old games when I was younger. But I feel like oh, as an adult yeah. now, uh, it, a lot of folks want to lean more into storytelling because also a lot of my friends who used to just create combat situations now want to tell a story or adapt a story, and so that's been really yeah. cool to see that kind of growth in the scene. I, I just never understood that because I also um, played a lot of, like, war games, like strategy games. Mm -hmm. So that need was is filled already. Like, the, the yeah. combat sim is, I have that in my, I can go ahead and I can play that when I feel bloodthirsty. But if I really, like, want to enjoy a character and, like, a story and play role-playing, like, that, I'm not going to... I, I don't need it to be a combat sim because I have one of those. It's on the shelf. Yeah. Easy exactly. peasy. Yeah. <laughs> I think also for me, uh, that shift came from playing more narrative-driven video games too. Like the Mass Effect series, which is one of my favorites, is like it's all story and relationships. And so like seeing more of that. And also, you know, I've been queer my whole life, but kind of coming the realization of how queer I was and finding my bisexuality as I got older also I think opened up wanting to explore relationships and stories um, which is a thing that I think as a young boy who didn't know what he wanted uh, but cried a lot and was very emotional I was like is there something wrong with me the other boys don't act like me I don't understand you know and as you get older you kind of tend to grow past the nonsense that you deal with in high school and realize, oh, no, they were just assholes. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, and it's, you. if anything, just feel bad for them because somebody taught them that they had to shut that down. It's not like they don't have it. Like, they're a human being, so they've got it somewhere. They're just shutting it down because somebody told them they had to, and that sucks. 
That sucks. It does suck. So much. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Neverland, the Impossible Island, Ooh. and um, your love of Peter Pan and the Lost Boys <laughs> and all of the things relating to Neverland. So why this setting? Why this area? Have you always loved Peter Pan and the story of Peter Pan? Is this something that you're just a giant fan of? Yeah, I wish... Because it would be comical if I had all of the things right here so I could just, like, show you the cataloging <laughs> of of how um, how serious my Peter Pan issue is. So, basically, I, I, don't, I, I don't really know how this came about exactly, but it's just something about uh, the way that this story made me realize that it wasn't what I thought it was about. So, like, you know, I was obsessed with it as a kid because I was obsessed with the Mary Martin, you know, musical. So just mm-hmm. as a little, little kid, I loved Mary Martin. I was like, I, I, you know, I loved that whole show in all of its problematic weirdness. So, yeah. I, but I loved the musical. I loved the puppet show. I loved the whole thing. And then, you know, you go a few years and you don't think about that anymore because you're a teenager and as previously stated you're brooding and you're sad for mysterious reasons um and then someday i like wandered into the my my dad's office which was where our bookshelf was and it had all my childhood books on it so i walk in there and i take the old copy of peter pan the book the novel off the shelf that I had never read as a kid. I had just like colored in all the pages with like ugly back black marker um, because it's a full novel and somebody gave it to me when I was like four. But <laughs> I sat down and I was like, oh, this book looks kind of interesting actually. The art was like kind of cool. And now I'm, you know, an edgy teenager and I want to see what that's about. So I, I sat right. down and I read this whole book in one sitting. And I was like, this isn't what I thought it was about at all. Uh, and something about that just stuck with me. And I, had, I I just couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't get J.M. Barry's voice out of my head. He has a very distinct author voice that, like, right. after I read the book, I start talking like him for a few days. Like, I can't, he's just got a very, like, very, very distinct uh, voice. And I couldn't stop thinking about it, so I read it over and over again. And at this point, I'm like in a weird place as a teenager because I'm queer and I'm like sort of out, but not really. And I'm having panic attacks about it all the time because, you know, there's no way for me to know for sure what, you know, like, I don't know, whatever it was that I was going through in my head uh, at that point in time. And... Maybe it's a massive amount of projection. I'm sure there's a level of it there, but I can't help but see the queer experience like just screaming at me through J.M. Barry's words. Like what I always say is that if, if people always ask that like silly fun question, like if you could have a seance and bring one dead like popular culture figure back to have a conversation would hands down be him i'd be like current situation quick explanation anything (laughs) you want to tell me can you tell me anything any secrets you're just dying to get out because i need i'm 
something here is so relatable to me. Um, so, huh, that, that, that is why it stuck. So that is why it's been this thing where, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you hit a certain age and everybody knows what your favorite thing is. So that's the gift you get every, every yes. time a thing happens you get. So for me, it's like Peter Pan, you know, my old roommate, pa- you know, painted me pictures of, of Peter Pan and people will buy me. Oh, Hey, I saw this book that's got, you know, so the collection, um, continues to grow. And one day I was doing our podcast, the Femsplained, and I did an episode where it was my turn to be the Femsplainer and I chose Peter Pan. And mm-hmm. after that conversation, my co-host and best friend was like, okay, so I'm seeing that the two things you care about most in the world are Peter Pan and, and role-playing games. So like, why haven't you just married those things together yet and i was it was like how did i not think of this before i like yeah. like because i do i think about those two things nonstop and have for a decade a piece so how did i not think to just put them together um and as soon as she said that it was like i i just couldn't think about anything else until i did it so that's amazing that's awesome and it's funny too like something that could be so obvious to you you just can't see right in front of you um uh uh, my original first podcast that i ever had was a music review show that i did with two co-hosts and at the time when we created it it's now on hiatus one of my co-hosts said to me because i've been a music nerd my whole life i'm a dj and i've also loved podcasting since i discovered it you know old radio shows and old radio plays and he was like so you love podcasts and you love music why aren't we making a music podcast why haven't we done that yet and it's just like oh sure of course that makes total sense (laughs) um and then like i started this show just because i liked other chat shows that i'd heard and went well i have the equipment and i'm selfish so i'm just gonna start my own and we'll see how it goes and you know now we're on episode 151 so clearly i'm doing something right uh or at least no one stopped me yet right (laughs) (laughs) But um, but I love the the idea of doing a setting in Neverland for D and D just because there's so many different there have been so many different interpretations of Peter Pan from the musical to Disney's version to you know even Hook and you know the book of course yeah we don't talk it, about it the just... mouse that one didn't <laughs> yeah. the mouse the mouse that didn't happen that uh, didn't happen <laughs> yeah they were like they were like this book's pretty racist let's make it more racist um yeah the mouse is. And then they, uh, you know what, can I just go off about the mouse for a second? (laughs) Yes, please. Because not only did they see the racism racism in that book, which is 100% Jay and Barry's fault, and say, let's turn the heat up on that and make it even worse by a lot. Then they just changed the character of Peter Pan. They made him annoyed by girls. They made him hate girls, which is precisely the opposite of the entire point of Peter Pan is that he is envious and jealous of girls and he wants to be more like them Uh, and like he's resentful about the fact that if he ages he has to become a man because that's horrible and instead wants to be more like Wendy and have a name like hers and stuff like that but there's 
so much against the idea of Peter hating or being annoyed by women. So the fact that the second he meets Wendy in the Disney version, he's like, he's like, ugh, girls. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, this is so stupid. <laughs> anyway, so I, uh, I, I don't, we don't like to talk about the mouse. <laughs> That's fair. Um, do you have a pervert version of a film version of um, I Peter sure Pan do. I sure do. I have very strong feelings about it too. Um, the 2003 live action with Jeremy Sumter and Jason Isaacs mm-hmm. is probably I, it's it's made so to the spirit of the novel. It's there are some things that are, have been cut for time and stuff like that, but the entire spirit, the characters are pretty genuine to how they're described um and it's a pretty accurate retelling of the story and it's just really good to look at uh as well and then uh, i actually think that hook even though is it, i think even though hook is not something that jm barry ever wrote down they kept the spirit of the characters Mm-hmm. alive so very well that to me it's canon it to me it, it might as well it honored uh the story that he wrote very much so yeah i would agree i think that for me the reason i think hook works really well is because it doesn't take itself too seriously but there are yeah. still those moments of drama and growth and these moments with peter also i'm a huge robin williams fan so like yeah. for me it's one of his greatest movies and a lot Absolutely. of people like to downplay Hook because it was so cheesy. And for me, it's like, but the book has cheesy moments. And, like, the world thrives on this kind of magic and nonsense. Like, what's wrong with it being cheesy? Absolutely. Well, that was the thing that J.M. Barry set out to do, which is why it's so perfect for Robin Williams. Because Robin Williams tells adult stories that could be enjoyable for a kid and that's what jm barry did as well he he was telling a a story that he wanted adults to appreciate but he told it through the lens of a kid's book uh and that's a very robin williams thing to do it would have been his birthday today by the way oh yeah yeah Mm. um and uh and it just feels right that we're talking about him actually um yes i would agree yeah he's he's actually he's the perfect um, he's the perfect person to have portrayed a character like Peter Pan, who is sad, but is also joyful and, and jovial and boyish and foolish and adventurous and silly and all of that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and so... Let's talk a little bit about the creating of Neverland, the Impossible Island. When when creating something like that, had you written or made any mock-up campaigns before that, like even for your own entertainment? Had you done any of that kind of writing? Or was this like your first time really putting something like that together? So I've never... Uh, I, it's hard to say uh, that I've done anything like this before. I have been exclusively a homebrew chick uh prior to writing that because of the aforementioned issues i have with playing D D like it's a um 
like a wargaming sim or whatever. So right. I've always done homebrews. I've also, I don't know, just like being able to be flexible and make stuff up on the fly. Sure. And in the past, I've played with, you know, people who have, say, books memorized and will call you on things if you don't know where um, <laughs> you know, certain places are or whatever. Yeah. Things like that. So I just scrap all that. I homebrew every place that I that that I have my game set in uh, with exceptions if I'm gaming you know uh, if I'm doing a, a private for hire or if I'm doing a convention and somebody is requesting a module or whatever. But for my own, for fun games, my home games, everything's homebrewed. So I've done that before. And hypothetically, I do write things down. Um, but I've <laughs> never, like, <laughs> I've never, like, really put the organizational thought into and tested it out uh, enough to write it down. In fact, what I did with this first is we played a completely, because this is just how my brain works, I guess. We played a completely improved. I didn't write a thing down. And I just, based on what I feel and know about Neverland, we played a, a couple of sessions of a game uh, where I just rolled with it and, and made it up on the fly. And I kept a lot of that. Um, I just kind of, you know, reworked it so that it made more sense but that that really helped me come up with most of it to be honest but that's awesome i think the ability to be able to use your imagination and dive in in that way is something that's super important to playing D D, especially now especially when like you were saying you bounce off of some of the pre-created modules i mean i know a lot of the D D official wizard of the coast stuff can be very strict because they are designed for a new DM to kind of like jump in and follow the book to run a game. Oh yeah. A good, no criticism good on them for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the fact that you were able to dive in with players that you trust and kind of just see what happens and then use that as inspiration, I think is really brilliant. Oh yeah. That was really great. And then once I really wrote it down, then we had a real, real play test where it was on purpose. <laughs> Right. Uh, so it, it was, uh, those were the two kind of stages. And I, honestly, I, I don't know how anybody else does it, but I would do it again that way because it really, that works for me, I guess. Well, and that leads into a follow-up question that I wanted to ask now that this exists and it's out in the world. Do you have, do you have a, the next thing you want to do? Do you have other ideas um, whether it's in Neverland as like a sequel to this, or is it a, a totally different location altogether? Okay, so I do have a new thing that is not D&D related that okay. is its own completely new uh, thing. Um, I'm not going to say too much because I promised uh, that uh, Patreon patrons would get the first spiel about it. Sure, that's um, fair. But uh, basically, I do have a new game entirely planned based on a old World of Darkness game that was hacked up and basically made into something completely new from years ago that just like kind of struck me in the middle of the night. And I was like, 
should do that on purpose. That's kind of what all <laughs> this is, is like all the weird, like homebrewy stuff that I've come up with on the fly. I, I just want, I, now I want to do it on purpose uh, and, and with intention. So, so that is the next thing. Um, I am not going to really get started on that until two things happen that are almost done. One being that I am releasing a D10 conversion insert to go with Neverland so that if you want to play it with cool. the storyteller system, you can. That's and amazing. then I, after that's done, I am going to enable it for hardcover because like a bunch of people have asked me to make it available for print. So I'm going to release it as a printable version. Um, and uh, that will be it. That That's all. I just got to make sure that that's done. And then once that's done, I am considering Neverland a complete, uh, a complete story. And I, and I'm going to move on to the next thing. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I think that the fact that you have a clear path for this and that you were able to create it and then also already have ideas for what you want to do next is really exciting. I have a question as far as being a and d player and a tabletop player. You obviously DM. You also obviously have played characters in the past and been part of other campaigns. Do you prefer one to the other, especially someone who's written a campaign? Do you prefer to DM over being a player or do you like both and it just depends? Okay, so I like both. If you had asked me this question like a year ago or any time before that, I would have said DMing 100% all the time forever. And that's, it's not untrue. It's just that <laughs> that opinion that I held was born out of the fact that my experiences with many groups as a player were so bad that right. I prefer being in the so-called driver's seat because I can control a little bit more about what is happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I can make the experience something that doesn't make me want to rage quit the world. <laughs> so, um, so prior to that, and, and really all that changed is that I stumbled upon tabletop Twitter which gets a bad rap for some things sometimes, but at the very least is full of a lot of people who also don't like sexism, which I, you know, yeah. like I drive I, with on, a lot. I'm on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's just very, very simply put a, a place where I've found a lot more experiences where I can be a player and not worry that someone's going to assault my character, generally speaking. Right. Um, I know that things happen, but it's just been, I've had more good experiences from the other side of the GM screen since I've found more like-minded people. I think we're, we're finally getting to a place technology-wise where it's much easier to play online. Like with systems like Roll20 and stuff, it's gotten a lot easier to connect with people and play online. Um, I've been playing with the same group of five or six people since I was in high school. And now the only difference is most of us don't live in the same state anymore, but we still can continue to play because of how far technology has come. But I still feel like, and I'm curious your thoughts, since tech has taken a long leap with a lot of this, do you prefer to play? I mean, obviously, during the COVID times we're in now, 
there you can't be in person obviously but when you could did you have a preference over in person or virtually because i feel like i connect better to the players and the dm when i'm in the room with them i like playing online but i feel like there's a chemistry in in personal space that there just isn't online yeah i mean i think that streaming and like and playing online sort of like adds an air of unspoken professionalism to people which makes sure. which makes the game in some ways way more fun but does sure. definitely like temper people's attitudes you're not going to laugh and go on a 15 minute tangent like you might uh in in a home game and I like both love that and don't love that. So I don't know what what I know is that my private home games, I don't I don't really love playing a private game over the internet. In right. fact, my home game we kind of tried to transition to the internet and we just hated it so much even though I stream games all the time over the internet and it never bothers me but for some reason just it just killed our vibe um yeah. and we've been playing together for almost four years now in our campaign and i uh i miss that so much <laughs> i mean how yeah. like i think the thing i miss the most is like you're sitting next to someone and something happens there's a reveal or you kill someone that took you five hours to kill or like you've discovered the big secret or a, a big plot twist happens or whatever and you just do that thing where you like collapse into the person next to you and like just start like shaking them or like whatever like the thing you know you just kind of have to yeah. I don't know I'm a very tactile very very um, affectionate person uh, and I miss <laughs> that kind of like camaraderie very much it's been a really weird couple of months for me yeah i get that no i'm the same way i have a a, a a 5e campaign that i was running or not i was running but i was in that a friend of mine was running and we played in person once a month for a while and it was great and i i felt a connection to those players that i hadn't felt with players in a while and now we over the last you know, three or four months or however long it's been, I've been trying to transition it to online. And it's just been really slow going because we're just so attached to that in-person experience and connecting with those folks. Like, I I don't always play flirty characters, but in this one campaign, I am playing a character who is very flirty and flirts with one of the other characters. And I just, I don't feel that same connection over the internet. And I think it's something to do with being in the space with that person and feeling their energy as that character. It just allows you to improvise in a way that I think is harder to do through a webcam and over the internet. I also think it's easier to pick up on when somebody is catching the like the improv thread you're you're sewing too. Yeah. Uh, or at least it is for me. Like if somebody is dropping a hint that they like want to push something in a direction. It's hard with like internet delays and like, were you looking at that particular part of the screen? Like right yeah. there, like, did you get what I'm trying to say here? I like, I don't know. There's a lot that can be lost. Um, but I'm very thankful for it because uh, the hobby is not gone to us during this time. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so whatever, whatever criticisms I have are not 
not important because at least we get to play. Um, For sure. Yeah. I totally get that. When playing D&D, especially as a, as a GM, um, do you have – do you prefer newer players who are, like, just excited to play and maybe know less? Or do you like seasoned players? Do you like to mix it up? Do you have a preference? Or are you just kind of, like, come one, come all? I'm very come one, come all. I, I, lo- I do love teaching people. Um, that's kind of how my, my current home game is, is born out of. Um, if you've never heard me tell this story before, it is my favorite story because they are a group of boys who all met each other through CrossFit, yes. and um, they they heard about D and D because Joe Manganello talked about it. On yes, a, and and so my little my little CrossFit babies, my little beefcakes. Uh, went on Reddit and found me while I was looking for games, having just moved to the to the borough, and they um, they kind of scooped me up as their guide, and it was it was lovely, uh, absolutely lovely, teaching them how to play because they just took to it so naturally, and also they did, were not bothered by the fact that I said. Uh, we're making the rules up, uh, <laughs> you know, at certain <laughs> points where, no, we're just not going to do that. Um, so, so lots of, lots of things were great about that. I love teaching new players. I don't mind any players of any, of any prior knowledge whatsoever, as long as they are able to roll with my punches. If they are not, and they are really need things to be completely by the book and don't really want to veer from the story. If they're a paying customer, I will totally run you a by the book module. I will absolutely do that for you and I will make it great. But if we're playing for fun and that's your cup of tea, it's not mine. So I'm not going to have a good time. So that's that's kind of where it's at. I get that. I mean, I think I am someone who personally can't stand rules lawyering. And, like, it's actually why I stopped playing a lot of the Star Wars systems. I love Star Wars. I love, even with how the movies have gone and, you know, some things are better than others. I love that world. And I love yeah. that universe. Mm-hmm. But every time, there were a few friends of mine who I love with my whole heart. But I would play with them and I would want to engage with the world of Star Wars in a way that might affect the established canon and they would shut me down or they would say, you can't do that or you don't have access to this or like as a Jedi, you don't have access to these powers. And it's just, it, it, a lot of it was just because they didn't want to change the world that they love so much and it bums me out because we're clearly existing in a thing that's its own thing and for you to rules lawyer me about a planet or a race or a character or uh, or whatever, a mechanic, it's like, but... I just want to do a cool thing. Can I do a cool thing? Like, what's the issue? And that drives me crazy to no end. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, that's not my favorite environment. Yeah. And, and it's a shame because it's a system that I liked playing in. There have been better versions of it. And I think it just depends on the DM and the, and the, and the people. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. So, but, but that said, um, there have been a lot of different campaigns that I've been a part of, and some have been more fun than others. I remember I was a bard in D&D, and because I'm a music nerd, instead of singing songs, because I'm not a great singer, I would play songs. And my song that I would use for Inspire Courage was Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley, and so I'd play it every 
every five minutes on my mp3 player uh whenever we got into a fight which was always fun have there been any like fun or crazy things that you've been able to incorporate into a game that maybe is outside the norm for a D campaign that you really love doing um all right, well similarly in that vein uh, my favorite npc who is sort of my traveling pc as well uh shendry what she is is a bard who plays the hurdy-gurdy but she doesn't play it well she makes the most <laughs> horrible sounds you can ever imagine uh and inflicts damage with the horribleness of the bad music <laughs> Um, and so there is on YouTube, if you search hurdy gurdy, careless whisper, um, <laughs> there is a careless whisper cover on the hurdy gurdy and, and no disrespect to the person who made this video, but it is the most horrible sound I've ever heard. <laughs> it is not made for that instrument and it is not good to hear. So I would play that. <laughs> whenever Shandri would do something uh, on the battlefield, and that's so so that's that's my that's my fun bard story. Amazing. Um, I have a question now. Leaning away from D and D, I assume you were involved in other nerdy pursuits as well. Are there other things that you are really passionate about that you don't plan on writing for, and that you just enjoy in life? Video games, movies, TV. Yeah, yeah, I have a real problem about the Dragon Age series. I have a real issue. Yes. I have a real problem. It's it's so bad. I <laughs> I like it is the work I I don't know what happened to me in my brain. Like I've never gotten like this over another video game. Like it just has not happened. Um but any of those three games, I can play them. I just, it seems, it would seem infinitely. I, there's no, <laughs> there does not seem to be an end to which I can consume them. Uh, and the only real thing I do in terms of content creation for that is, is writing fan fiction sometimes, which ha has, has, seemed to have come to an end which is good for everyone because it's, it's been not good when it happens but um but i do like to theorize i do like to uh, uh imagine scenarios think about lore that has not been confirmed nor denied because I mm -hmm. follow the creators of that game very closely to see if they ever do <laughs> confirm or deny these things. Um, so that is, yeah, that's my that's my other big thing. I, you know, it's something that I don't really see myself ever creating anything for because, I, you know, eh. um, and there <laughs> is also already a very good tabletop RPG for it. Um, yep. But it is something that I will never stop being way too into. I get that. Um, I mean, I'm so I'm wearing a shirt for my podcast, Reignite, which is a Mass Effect themed podcast that uh, we are currently in our third season playing the third game. And so 
as you feel with Dragon Age, I feel the same way about the space version. Uh, Mass yes, Effect. Space, and space Dragon Age, yes. Space Dragon Age, yes. Um, and so I've been obsessed with that, so I get that. I'm actually, for my Twitch channel, I'm replaying Dragon Age Inquisition, a game I never finished the first time I played it, so I'm making my way through it again. Um, and I, I'm loving it so far. I remember really strongly disliking the first two games, but I don't know if it was just because I wasn't used to the mechanics. I mean, for me, since Mass Effect came first, I went into Dragon Age Origins expecting fantasy Mass Effect, and it's not ident- It's not the same thing. No. There are similarities, but like I think I bounced off it because of that. That said, I'm enjoying Inquisition so much. I do want to revisit those games. Um but I'm I'm loving Inquisition. I just did the ball where you meet uh, uh, Morgan for the first time as the character, but she, of course, has been yeah. in the mm-hmm. other games. And so that was really fun, and I got to do that on stream, and I wasn't expecting her to be in the game, so that was a fun reveal. Um, what I like about those kinds of fantasy games is that they really, especially through the relationships, find a way to bring you in. It was like what I was talking about before is my favorite D&D campaigns or that ones that mirror that. And so I totally get your obsession with those games yeah. because Bioware has a great way of crafting narratives that sometimes feel more important than the pressing buttons to kill stuff. Yeah. Um, the first time that I played Origins, which was the first video game I played in a long time, when I was growing up, I had a Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that outlived its shelf life or got or got sold or something, whatever happened to it. From then on, we just we didn't have we didn't have another one. We didn't get another video game console and then I moved out and could not afford a video game console uh, for <laughs> many years and then I don't know. One day, uh, got an Xbox 360. Uh, got Skyrim, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. I I would later become weirdly attached to it, but not because I loved it really, but because <laughs> you could just play it for so long. I yeah. like. It's like it's. It really is not. A game that gets you hooked it's just like it's it's just candy crush you just it's candy crush <laughs> with like dark like themes you just get kind of yeah. you, before you know it you've played for 17 hours so I liked that game just fine and then I was at work at night one night and it was a very slow night where we were working and a girl came up to me and sat down next to me who I had not talked to before and she was like you look like you would like elves and stuff. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) I do. (laughs) She was like, well, anyway, let's get out of here and, uh, and, and play this video game. And I was like, okay. So, uh, I brought my coworker home with me, (laughs) which is very surprising move on my part. And we played, she just, I, it was a very odd choice for her. I don't really know if she th- looks back on this with fond memories because I don't think I would if I were her. But she just came to my apartment, uh, handed me Dragon Age Origins, and then watched me play it for like four hours or something like that. <laughs> I mean, while drinking wine, I gave her wine because I'm not a monster. But like, Obviously. it was just, it was a very uh, weird experience because then she just went home and she left the video game. 
It was very nice of her, but very peculiar. Anyway, fast forward to about four days later, the credits are rolling, and I am just on my couch crying hysterically. (laughs) And I'm just like, I don't know, something just clicked in me. I was like, you're a, this is, you can do this? Video, I I didn't know, I didn't know that was an option in video games because the last thing I played was a side scroller. So I just did not know that you could tell this kind of a story. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of astonishing what they've accomplished and we will eventually supposedly get a Dragon Age 4, but I'll believe that when I actually see more than a title screen. Oh, it's um, going to happen. It's going to happen. We will You know, if that doesn't happen, then I I'm just going to have to learn code. It's going to be a 10-year-long <laughs> adventure and I don't know how I'm going to pull it off, but like I it will have to. That's what's going to make me roll up my sleeves is there if we go. don't get that. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that Bioware in the nearest future will remaster both the Mass Effect trilogy and the, the Dragon Age trilogy. Just because I feel like those games are kind of timeless because they were crafted so well that even if certain systems haven't aged well, the game's narratives as a whole... While not perfect, especially from a queer perspective, but a lot of it has aged well as far as storytelling and narrative. And so I'm hoping that we'll get newer versions so more people can experience them. Also, I feel like if they remastered those games for modern consoles, everyone would buy them. They're infamous series. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, they it's would. It's like, is Bioware afraid of money? Like, that's what I don't understand. Do you know at this point. how many times they've released? Skyrim with just like yeah. one little tweak and people buy that shit over and over again people yep. would absolutely repurchase all of those games me front of the line same absolutely front of the line um shifting back to D a little bit um are there um any systems that you have not tried but you've always been interested in within the tabletop sphere or have you pretty much dabbled in a a little bit of everything oh my god i i I have not dabbled in everything no no there are tons that i that i haven't tried especially newer um newer releases uh that i haven't gotten a chance to try um and i actually i haven't played the star wars games uh which I hear good things about. Um, and uh, yeah, no, there's, I mean, there, there's, there's so many. So sure. there's definitely, there's definitely a ton that I, that I haven't tried yet. Um, is there another world? I know you said you're working on something, but is there another pre-existing world that if you had endless time and resources, you would want to craft a story for or craft a D&D module for? Oh yeah, um, and I've 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 brought this up to other people because I may not have the time for it, but I need somebody to make it so that I can have it. So <laughs> I have I've been dropping hints into every RPG writer's in basket about making a Wonderland setting, like a big like <laughs> like I need a full. There have been a couple like like one shot adventures written for Wonderland, but I need mm-hmm. like Neverland style. I need the entire si- like system written out. Because, uh, one, it's also in the public domain, and two, it would be wild. It yeah. would be absolutely wild. You know how much D&D players love, like, campaigns that involve drugs and, like, <laughs> <laughs> and like unpredictable effects? 
think of how many random effects tables you could put in a Wonderland based setting. Yeah. There could be one on every page. <laughs> it would and I don't know, those are just things that I that really tickle me in, in, in RPGs. So I, I would love to see it. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like what's really interesting about tabletop gaming and especially pen and paper RPGs is that it feels like you could adapt anything. Like I had a friend who was working on a Downton Abbey style RPG where some people play the 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 rich folks, some people play the servants and like it's just like a social thing with not really combat and like it's just those kinds of things get me thinking, oh you really can make a D&D style module out of anything as long as you know how to create a set of rules and structure and like story. And I think it's a really versatile medium that's almost limitless. Before we wrap up, um, I wanted to ask about where the best place people can find the things that you do, how they can get their hands on Neverland, um, and the best ways to find you on the internet and interact with all the awesome stuff you do. Oh, yeah. I now finally have an easy answer to that question, which I did not for many other interviews. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So you can just go to superdylan.com, which is Super Dylan. If the only flaw is that I spell Super Dylan weirdly, so it's S U P E R D I L L I N dot com. And when you go to superdylan.com, you will see um, places where you can watch previous streams. Um, you can find all the podcasts that I am involved with. You can find Neverland. You can watch the playtests from Neverland if that's something you're curious about. Uh, you can buy it. You can buy merch related to it. You can read random things I'm thinking about, which I've included <laughs> on there. And you can see what's upcoming. So you'll see streams that I'm going to be on, uh, applications for games that I am hosting. Um, and you'll be seeing, hopefully soon, more applications for the COGS Expo, which is the... the um, convention I work for obviously 2020 we are uh, on hiatus but soon we'll be posting stuff for uh, for 2021 so you can find everything there awesome excellent before I let you go and before I have you do our sign off I want to ask if you could have a, as a GM if you could have a D&D group of celebrities, pop culture figures, musicians, who would be your ideal four players to have to 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 play D&D with? Oh my god. Okay. Okay. Any celebrities? Anybody. Any sky is the limit. Okay. Elijah Wood. Okay. I just want to see if he's real. I don't think I kind of don't think he is. Um, but Elijah, Elijah Wood, Satin Phoenix. Satin Phoenix is a a, a person who's like a, a a deep fave of mine. Um, you said four people. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so difficult. Asking the hard hitting questions. Here. You really are. All right, hang on, hang on. Let me let me just. Let me focus. Let me focus and think. I mean, what what's better than Elijah Wood on playing D&D? <laughs> That's um, fair. Hmm. Jim Carrey. 
I would love to see that. That would be amazing, yeah. I would love to see that. And okay. Can I get can I add one more? Because Sure, you can have a five party. Because I can't pick one of the Wayans brothers, but I would love to play with both of them. That's There's amazing. no picking there. <laughs> okay. They can't, Excellent. You can't break that duo up. Yeah, yeah. That would be my that would be my perfect table. I'm sure if I thought about this a little bit harder. I might yell at myself later in the middle of the night that that I changed my mind and I have a different lineup. But but that sounds pretty good to me. That sounds pretty good to me, too. Don't worry. You can just email me later if you make a change. Oh, just change. I'll, I'll add an addendum. <laughs> oh, OK, good. <laughs> um, well, Diana, this was great. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's been great to get to know you over the internet, and I'm so excited for all of the stuff that you're working on. I'm going to ask you one other favor. Um, we have a saying on the show, which is music is life and life is good. It's this idea that if you're creating art of any kind, that life will always be okay, even when it's not. So if you could just close out the show by saying that those words, we will wrap this up. Okay, and I am saying that music is life and life is good. I love that. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit WeBurlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. Bananarama? Okay. Okay. All right. A band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. As a pastor's kid growing up in the 90s, there was a lot of mainstream entertainment that I was sheltered from. Steven Root, he does one of the voices. Okay. You know him from news radio. Do I? You know him from office space. Do I? You know... (laughs) Uh, Most things, really. So, now that I am an independent and out queer 30-something, I'm finally asking my friends to teach me about all the stuff I missed out on. Wait, Raffi did Beatles covers? Yes, he did. My mind is blown. He did Octopus's Garden, and, um... Yeah, I remember Octopus's Garden. I didn't know that that wasn't a Raffi original (laughs) until just now. The re-education of Hazel Tart. Subscribe now. Kevin Costner. He was so foxy. You... I know the name. I don't know the face. I cannot. What is Kevin? Co- Can you just show me a picture of Kevin Costner's no, face, please? Think of the guy. This is hurting. Not Cheech Marin, but think of the other guy in Tin Cup. I've never seen that.